Hello friends and welcome back. Please do come in, welcome back to the role-playing game room. This is a podcast in which we just talk about role-playing games because we can, because we like them and uh, because you probably, hopefully, will enjoy what we have to say. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and with me I have the prodigal child of the role-playing game world. You know I make board games too, right? Yeah, I know, but you know, this is not the board game room. Oh, then we can't mention that. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix it in editing. Yes. I never said it. Yes. I was never here. No. Well, yes. But, but, well, anyway, introduce you. you always forget to introduce yourself. Yeah, I know. I just, I'm not that guy. You're not that guy. You're not Jim Pinto. No, I'm not. Oh, wow. I thought, I thought you, were, you didn't sound like I him. think people will be happy to know that Jim Pinto isn't here. Oh, that, that's not true. People like you. People like you very much. Yeah. Yes, hate to admit it because you fear your I, ego. Yeah, will be maybe, re- maybe. <laughs> anyway, I you. Think it's easier to think that people don't like me. Yeah, but it's not true. We, we like you. We like you a little bit. <laughs> there we go. There's the caveat. <laughs> Look, I, I cannot give you all good. I, I have to. Otherwise, your ego gets too inflated and you will be right, in the stratosphere. Right. I was the one that was just denigrating myself, but you have to be careful. <laughs> You need to make sure. Oh, you know I like you. Otherwise, I wouldn't have you in the podcast. <laughs> it's true. Well, Vicky's not here, so you'd be talking to yourself right now. Well, yeah. But, and you know what? I actually could do that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And today, you, my co-host, by default. Yes, because Jim there was Pinto. no other. <laughs> Jim Pinto. Wow. Anyway, you have some Kickstarter to talk to us about because you have something and I want you to promote your Kickstarter. Oh, mercy. Okay. Um, are we talking about that first? Yeah, why not? Let's get it off the way. Okay. Well, I'm doing a second set of tool cards. Um, I, I don't have an exact release date just yet, but it will be ending in mid-July, if that's any help to anybody. Um and it's essentially 11 new decks, but they're all different sizes, unlike last time where it was a 100-card deck and then 10 expansion decks. This is kind of all over the place. This is a catch-all, lots of ideas that I had thrown into one big pot. And what, what do those decks do, to be precise? Um, well, one of them is going to be a series of geomorphic maps, so you can build a fantasy village. It'll have art on one side and then information on the other, and so you'll be able to generate who's in the building, what kind of building it is, what kind of shop it is, for instance, a rumor that they've heard in that shop, maybe something special that they have for sale, or uh, a secret that, that the the shopkeeper has, Um and so that model, that'll be 50 cards. And I, my recommendation would be to get two of those because then you can use all of the art on one side and then you've got all the random draw for the other stuff on the other. So that's just one of the decks. Um, there's going to be a drama deck, which is reminiscent of the old Torg deck. I don't know if you remember Torg. Vaguely. I played it once and didn't like it. Oh, yeah, I love it. And, well, I love the deck anyway. I know there was a lot of problems with the math and the charts and things like that mm. that drew people nuts. Um, I, I liken it to chart law and all that, those those chart master games where once you figure out what the logic of the game is, it's pretty easy to play. But a lot of people couldn't get into it. But anyway, the, the deck, there's a deck called Drama. One side will be for the GM, one side will be for the players, and it's cards they can use in play in any role-playing game. It does not matter what. 
um, and they can spend points, drama points that they'll have if they're playing with the deck to generate additional effects that they would normally not be able to generate or re-roll a die or gain a piece of information that they didn't have or succeed at a, a willpower saving throw or a fear check or something like that. And the, It's 100 cards, so it ranges all over the place. And if you don't use the card, you hand it to the GM, and then the GM can use the other side. And you are basically designing over 500 of them. Uh, yeah, there's a total of 500 cards if you get all 11 decks. Um, yeah, I think there's 500 cards. That's pretty insane. Most of them are done. About half of them are done, I guess, at this point. And so you're cheating. So I'm cheating what? How am I cheating? Well, you've already done it. You're not doing well, I'm still making it, yeah. <laughs> but um, I've already paid for all the art, so I'm out a big chunk of change paying for all those maps. Um, so that's part of this is recouping a lot of my costs that I've already uh, sunk into the product. So listeners, please do help make this project reality because I know for a fact that the first thing that Jim does when he doesn't have any cash is he stops feeding the cat. The kitten <laughs> needs you. The kid, the kitten. I can't even find the cat. Um, that would probably be because I don't have one. I was trying to help you. I know, I know. I just don't feel good about about lying to people about having a cat. You see, I lie to people for my friends. No, I don't. That's <laughs> <laughs> first thing I do is I stop feeding myself. Um, but well, you don't uh, eat much anyway. We can look at you. Yeah. What? What's that? Nothing. <laughs> I'm a big chunky butt. You oh, know? You? Mm. I, I sit down um, all day long, and that's part of the problem. And then I go on these big long hikes on the weekend, and then I sit down all week again. So Okay, well, so you do binge healthy. I am, yeah. yeah, yeah. I binge <laughs> healthy. Right, let's talk about the, the, the proper subject topic that we were going to discuss today. And one thing that... I think everybody who's wanted to write or design a role-playing game has had to investigate at one point or another and have to do at one point or another is to write. Role-playing games cannot be done if you don't write. But there is a massive, massive difference between writing a role-playing game and designing a role-playing game. And I think, Jim, this is something that you propose as a subject of a topic for discussion. So what is it for you, the difference between writing the role-playing game and designing yeah, the role-playing game? I, I get into the discussion a lot um, with fledgling designers. I was just giving somebody some advice. They came to me, I think, about a week ago, actually, saying, what do you think of this dice mechanic that I came up with? And they thought they'd come up with something super revolutionary. And it essentially was the willpower point system from Vampire. Right. But they didn't know that or they didn't put that together because they hadn't analyzed it on that level. And it, while it was clever, it was essentially the willpower point system. And maybe a little bit about how willpower points were spent in the old cyberpunk system. A little bit of the, a combination of those two. Nothing groundbreaking. It was just another dice mechanic. And so I looked at the situation and I thought to myself... This is yet another game writer playing at being a game designer. And there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to break out of your game writing mentality. But game design is about understanding so many other facets. And I'm still learning, right? I'm not nearly as great of a game designer as I would like to be. Uh, there's plenty of guys that I look up to that are doing it 
well all the time. But I am, I'm not trying to make the same game every single time. I want to get out there and explore whenever I'm doing new board game or new role playing. I want to explore something that I haven't designed before. And I think game writers often just approach, well, I got to write another source book, another splat book, another, um, um, another project for, and I'll, I'm going to make fun of Shadowrun again, another splat book for Shadowrun without knowing anything about how the dice mechanics of Shadowrun really work, the spirit of the system, because mm-hmm. they've never been able to look at, say, the design document itself, if there even is one. Um, and, or they're not even interested in seeing how do I divorce this game from traditional simulationist GM behind a game screen gaming where somebody just feeds me information for three quarters of the game and I just wait for my turn to roll dice. Um, and so those those sort of differences from game writers to game designers, they don't get explored on the level that I think that they should. I hear a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a game designer. And what they really are is an adventure writer. Right, okay. So how do you realize or know what are you? How do you really? I don't know. Self-awareness. Um, I think it requires a lot of... We, we, you ask me this kind of thing a lot. And I have a hard time answering it because... A lot of people, the first thing they do is they get their feelings hurt when they realize that somebody's giving them a critique, and a critique is very different from criticism. Um, But differentiating those two is the difference between knowing whether or not you're one thing or another. And that sort of self-awareness and that intuitive approach to things, it's the same as, as anybody not following the context of something and just getting their feelings hurt because they've taken something the wrong way. And that's that's sort of where you are if you want to understand the difference between whether or not you're a game writer or a game designer. Is what is it that I'm actually making? Am I actually making a game or am I just adding to an existing product? Hmm. So okay, let's assume, you know, that I want to write a because to be honest, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I, I've been trying to write um, my my role playing game for for quite a few months now, and um, I find myself writing. I have no problems writing about the setting and uh, the villages where things are meant to be happening, and I do think about the mechanics a little bit. But I, I am I'm not particularly interested in in the mechanics. I'm interested in, in the setting. I'm interested in the feel and the atmosphere of the game. So I know for a fact that I am not much of a game designer. I know that I am more of a game writer let's assume that most people are going to be in that category or at the very least a good good chunk of people are going to be in that category what do i do i think the the first question you have to ask is what experience am i trying to provide convey is this gaming experience going to be different than something else that's already out there I don't think, for me personally, I don't think there's any difference between Hero, Dungeons & Dragons, Champions, Shadowrun, L5R, Vampire. I don't really see a difference between any of those games. Mechanically, they are, I roll dice and somebody tells me what that die roll means. They have different paths to getting to that moment, but essentially that's the gaming experience, is I roll a die and somebody else, who apparently is an expert, gets to tell me what my die roll means. And that experience, if that's the experience you're trying to generate, then there's a thousand models out there to emulate, to copy, 
to draw from to I don't know percolate on in order to get to the game design that you want to get to and I think when that happens you're I think if you stole the roll and keep system from L5R and changed it to D6s you're a game writer and not a game designer right that's not really a game design because that's something that already exists and you know it works um is it a legitimate way of bringing a game out though that is a perfectly legitimate way i'm not i'm not i'm not judging it on that uh on it on those merits if somebody finds a way to make it faster better cleaner by all means right great artists steal um and all all the more power for it but if you don't understand why you're doing it and you're just doing it because you don't have any better ideas or you think that that's the best game system ever made and you just want to use it for your game that you want to put out all you're essentially doing is putting out a splat book you're not really you're not adding to the cultural gestalt if you will of of the gaming milieu you're you're just i don't know you're just adding to the pile Can you give me an example of games that you think fit that description? Uh hands down a pack Apocalypse World, right? I mean that is one of the most groundbreaking role-playing games in the last well ever, maybe. You know, I'll give Vincent that right now. It's it's it now it's doing something negative and we can get to that in a second um about what it's doing that's bad for the industry. But what it's doing that's great for the industry is it's opening people up to the idea that you can do whatever you want and you don't have to roll a die until the moment comes that you have to roll a die in in traditional role playing games we're taught well if you want to try to do anything you have to roll a die to do it hmm. right and so there becomes this adversarial relationship between the players and the gm of who i'm not going to do anything until it's really important and what apocalypse world does is it it turns that whole uh, what's the word i'm looking for it turns that whole paradigm around and it says look do whatever you want keep doing it and keep doing it to do it until the gm says okay enough now it's time for you to roll and so what it does is it encourages people to keep doing things and trying to generate effects and change the world and and make things happen within a game so that the players and the characters become the focus of play and it isn't until somebody says no you got to roll for that that's too big that's something that we have to see we have to see what fate has in store and even the chart itself in apocalypse world is very different than we're used to because even if you fail there's things that you can do to make the success happen which if you talk to simulationists that like dungeons and dragons or who like hero mm-hmm. that that makes them twitch agency for the players what is that well that's a strange word i don't even know what it means um and so they get all freakish about it is is it in that case a good idea to actually team up with somebody if you don't know if you are a game designer or a game writer I think I think it is I think it's valuable I think um I think there's a lot of times where uh, I'm working on a project right now with a friend of mine where he's doing all the the, the splat book work that I really just don't want to be doing and I'm doing all the mechanics and the design on that end and that's That's freeing for me in a lot of ways because then I can come back and say, you know what? I want the game mechanics to do this. Can we change these 10 words in the elf chapter to reflect the new mechanic I came up with? So, do you consider yourself more of a game designer or a game writer? I don't know. I don't know what I consider myself personally. I try to I try to do both, right? I mean, I'd like to to do both, but I find 
adding to the to the noise of splat books out there i don't think that that's helpful i don't think that that improves the industry i think every subject has been covered and unless you're trying to find a new way to get to that subject matter do we really need another book about it works do we really need another shadowrun expansion but if we don't need them then why do they sell so much i don't know i'm not good at answering that question i feel like bill watterson sometimes I, all bill watterson wanted to do was just draw calvin and hobbs he didn't want to be involved in the selling of calvin and hobbs he didn't want to be involved in the in the conversations with agents and marketing people he just wanted to do the work and that's sort of how i feel about what i do i just want to do the work and i want to be left alone let somebody else worry about selling it or figuring out what needs to be written next so what would be i don't know your your top tip advices to people who actually want to write versus people who want to design i would i would um i would talk to guys like shane hensley i would talk to guys like jim searcy and ed healy and these people that are kind of locked in to that side of the industry and really ask them get them cornered at gen con or however and say what's the thing that everybody wants that's not being made because those guys have a very good sense of that um, better than anybody else because if you went online and you started a forum chat about what's a book that you want to see everybody's going to say space marines or everybody's going to say all this stuff that is already being made because that's what they tend to like they're not really thinking about that gap because The, the gap always ends up getting filled by another splat book somewhere. But these guys that are working in marketing, they tend to have a better sense, I think, of, man, you know what? The zombie fad is dying out, and we need that next thing that's going to replace zombies. right? That would be a conversation worth having with a marketing guy. And then if you wanted to be a game writer or a game designer, it doesn't matter which, in that context, you could say, all right, what is the next thing that's coming after zombies? What do we want to design that's not zombies, that's not steampunk, that's not pirates, that's not ninja? What's that next thing that we want to write? And I want to write that thing. If you're the writer that is that gung-ho to be a game writer and you're willing to write anything, that's a, that's a fantastic skill set, right? I don't want to write just anything, so maybe I'm not a game writer because I'm not prepared to write a book about steampunk no but you know I, th i think the one thing about you though is that as you said you are a game writer and not a game designer but i think if you are a game designer you could take something that's been done already to death and design something new a different way of doing the same thing and still be very very good and provide an experience that is not there yet yeah Uh, I tried to make a board game about zombies once, and I played it with my friends, and it was fun, and we had a good time. But every time I try to sell somebody on it, they look at it and, well, why aren't I, why aren't I rolling to kill every single zombie on the board? That doesn't feel right. So it worked for me and my friends, but I don't think – I think sometimes when you try reinventing the wheel too much, you run into – You run into that uphill battle of, no. I mean, would you like to be the first four editors that turned down Harry Potter? I'm sorry, not. Of course not. <laughs> What's that? Of course I wouldn't like to be then. Yeah, well, I mean, but there were four editors that turned down Harry Potter before uh, Rowling found somebody to sell the book to, yes. right? Those There's got to be game companies out there that, that fit into that mold of they just reject it because it's it feels alien or weird to them. 
And those are, uh, and yeah, I will, that's a, I think that's a great analogy is, do you want to be the first four people that turn down Settlers of Catan? Right? Do you want to be the first four people that turn down uh, uh, the train game? I'm blocking on the name at the moment. But the the one that everybody loves, it's Gin Rummy. Um, uh, so I think that if you try to change things too much, you end up running into that too. I I think we're on a little bit of a tangent now, and I apologize. That's fine. Um, which is it's it's actually a very good point because uh, Vicky has managed to make it, and <laughs> which Fantastic. is excellent. So <laughs> listeners, I am just about to add to our conversation as soon as I manage to add people to this call. Yes, because that's what I do. And I get VA Beaver and say, add to call. And in a second, ladies, gentlemen, get ready for the sensation that is Vicky Beaver. Hello, Vicky. That's so very kind. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Vicky. Jim and I, I mean, we've, we've been chatting at it for, for a few minutes already. Uh, we were discussing between game writing and game designing. And I yeah. missed it, Vicky. I made fun of Shadowrun. You totally missed it. Oh, my. It'll, <laughs> it'll never happen again. I somehow find that unlikely. <laughs> he says Shadowrun is pants. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but that sounds funny. Really? Don't you have that? In, don't you have that in the US? Something. No. So, so when something when something is pants? yeah, no. something is pants, and it means that it's some, that there's rubbish, that's really bad. It's like saying that something is shit without wanting to swear to use the swear word. Uh, we use it as slang for pulling people's pants down. Well, yeah, yeah pants, pants. That's the thing. The pants is your underwear. In the UK, in here. Exactly. Oh yeah, no. So we, if it's, pants or pants. Incidentally, most folks in the U.S. won't use the word rubbish either. They would say trash or garbage. Yes, yeah. exactly. So anyway, that's what Jim says. That Shadowrun is crappy because... Did you, did, did you say that? You, well, you can't it imply. was the same thing as every other game. Well, said, duh. There. Yes, so basically, what, uh, Vicky, what is your take on game writing versus game design? What, what part do you think is more prevalent in the role-playing game scene at the moment? The design of the game or the writing of the settings? Well, I think it's really quite split. As far as what's mainstream, I think we're seeing more setting than we are game development. If we're looking outside the mainstream, if you're looking at indie, I think you're still definitely looking at uh, a lot of design occurring as well as as writing, but design being what's uh, foremost in a lot of folks' minds when it comes to indie games. So... Uh, it, it depends on where you're looking, really. And what part do you think, for you, is the most important? Uh, for me personally, I am definitely one of the people who does more game writing than game designing. Uh, I did do some redesign when I was working with uh, as a freelancer at Savage Mojo on what was their suzerain rule system. Unfortunately. Uh, as time went by, it was decided that that project was going to be uh, mothballed indefinitely. So uh, while I went through the process of uh, being someone who did a lot of work with the system as a player and as a playtester uh, before 
you know, it, it was being redesigned. Uh, and then actually did do some writing for it before the redesign. Uh, once the, if once we got to actually doing the design work, uh, I definitely, you know, I definitely was looking at how the mechanics worked. Uh, and I, I will tell anybody, I am not a rules person. I, uh, however, that was one of the driving forces for me in actually trying to redevelop an existing rule system was trying to make it accessible to people like me, people who are not. Uh, rules people, people who are not going to read the book from cover to cover and commit all of the nuances to memory. Uh, it's just not who I am, and it's not who a lot of gamers are, even if they're GMs. So that was an interesting challenge, and I really enjoyed it, uh, despite some of the fiddly bits of trying to figure out how is this going to work for people who aren't like me and do like rules and do like all the nuances and to learn them cover to cover. Uh, so that was an interesting thing for me, but I'm, I'm definitely more firmly in the writing of the settings, writing of things that are not actually designed per se, but even so you have to keep design in mind. There you go, Jim. How, what do you say about that? I think that's a, that's a pretty good answer. What it, it reminds me of things like, um, um, I guess I'll use Eberron or Ravenloft or Dark Sun or any of the games that were transferred from third edition to fourth edition or second edition to third edition were these these setting worlds, not games. These settings were, were transplanted and they were specifically written for a specific kind of rules and then the settings are moved and they don't play as well, right? I, Ravenloft fourth right. edition makes no sense to me at, hmm. at all. Ravenloft... Combat should probably almost never happen in Ravenloft, right? Ravenloft needs to be a game of mood. It needs to be a game of tone. I don't even know if second edition D&D was the place for it, but that that's that's a different kind of argument. I think when these transplants happen, people do them without considering how the setting needs to change to reflect the new rules that they're being played with. Uh, GURPS, Werewolf, GURPS, Vampire make no sense to me, right? Those 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 settings were done and uh why would i want to play werewolf or vampire with a one second 3d6 die roll it 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 felt it's one second turns and 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 it just didn't feel right it just felt anachronistic well i think in the, in the case of having some an existing setting that's now ported to a, a system that it wasn't originally written for might be less about making it something that it wasn't and more about gaining accessibility to people who don't play the system it was written for. Yeah, and we were talking about that earlier, uh, the, the idea that marketing needs to come in at some point and tell writers and designers what the audience needs because that that's kind of a that can be sometimes a missing piece of information. But from experience, I can tell you D27C was universally reviled. Hmm. Um you know, and I was on the team that did the the conversion simply because somebody came in and said, "Well, we got to do D twenty because everybody's doing D twenty something. We got to do this conversion now to get people interested in the seven C world." And really, what ended up happening is we turned off both markets. Well, you mentioned marketing, and I think one thing that is tough in looking at role playing games is that a lot of people who are producing role playing games are not necessarily people who have a marketing team or individual even uh, and even for those companies that do i think sometimes because people who are in the role-playing game fields tend to be gamers we don't necessarily think of it from that different outside perspective of 
we're not, you know, we, we already know what we want to do and we know who we want to give it to, but we're not necessarily thinking of it in terms of, but do the people we want to give it to have interest in this? You know, would they get it without us having to spell it all out? I, and so I do think that marketing when it comes to role-playing games definitely has some gaping holes. I, I, and I speak from experience. I, you know, I'm uh, one of a two-person shop, so we wear multiple hats. I don't have a degree in marketing. Right. You know, I've got some experience in it, but I definitely don't have the kind of background that some other people uh, are fortunate enough to have background in. And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I personally feel that um, the marketing in role-playing game companies as as overall, okay, there are a few exceptions here and there, but overall the marketing is absolutely appalling. And with marketing, I don't mean just the advertising. People tend to confuse an awful lot marketing with advertising. Advertising is part of marketing. It's not. Very true. It's not marketing. And that market research is indeed part of marketing and should have an impact in how things are redeveloped. And I bet you my bottom dollar that that happens a minuscule amount of times when any uh, game is being remodeled. And considering how often, which is more often than not, games that have been ported from one system to another fail, that tells me that that wasn't really market research properly and was not uh, play-tested properly. Um, There was no forethought on that one whatsoever. Well, there, it could be more than just that it wasn't done properly. You know, you do get false positives. You know, you think of how many products are brought to market that have nothing to do with role-playing games that obviously they did well in the test markets. Obviously, they did well in the initial research. When you rolled it out countrywide, not so much. Um, can, you, can you point an example of that within the role-playing game industry, though? I, with the role-playing game industry, I'm not as as well versed as to you know who did something and got positive feedback and then it failed. Um, I mean, I, I know I definitely have seen that in the greater you know consumerism that we've got. I mean, you look at some of your fast food restaurants and as an example. You know, they might test a particular sandwich or a particular drink, and maybe they're testing more in the metropolitan areas. But then when they roll it out nationwide, they find that people in you know, smaller cities or more rural areas that have access to it don't want it. You know, it's either too much or, you know, it's not quite their taste. There's something that's just not quite right. Hmm. I, I even just recently, and I have no idea what kind of market research was done, but I recently we had the podcast talking about, uh, you know, get out of our hobby because you had some people that didn't like a particular project. You know, they didn't like something that was going on with the project and like how the uh, how the monetary part was going to work. They made their voices heard, and you know, that was something that had a negative impact. So you, know, you do have some, you know, I, I seriously doubt that there was no research done when going to Kickstarter to try to get money for it. Hmm. But, you know, you've, uh, we just got through talking about that very subject of, you know, how people had a different view of what they thought that the designers and the publishers should be doing and how they weren't very nice about it. Well, the, the thing, though, personally, I feel within the role-playing game industry, because it's so small, it's so, so seriously small, doing the uh, the market research should be fairly easier and, and therefore should have less margin for error than doing it at, at the massive country level 
mega multinational company like like a restaurant well, chain or something. I can see where you think that, but I'm not sure that that plays out because you have to have a way to reach these people to begin with. And if you're looking at particularly newer companies who get this idea that, well, I would love to do a you know name your system version of name your setting. So they go about getting the proper permissions to do that. But the, who are they going to ask? How are they going to find out who would be interested? Uh, but it's, that's a, okay. But that's a different matter altogether. I mean, we we are we, are, we that is talking about the difficulties of doing market research. Uh, that, yes, but I think that's an integral part of answering your question about with market research fail. It, if you don't know who to ask to begin with, then yes, it's definitely possible for that market research to fail because the people you are talking to might be giving you that false positive. The people you do reach might be saying, yes, this sounds great. But then when you go ahead and you get before the masses, you know, then you find out that, okay, you know, it was a much smaller group of people who were interested than what we thought. There's this, um, there's this general belief um, amongst gamers that they don't like a big box with when they're buying a board game or any kind of thing full of components. They don't like a big box filled with air that just sits on a shelf looking pretty. They want the box to be the same size as the components. They feel, I don't know if the logic is they feel they're getting ripped off or if they feel like it's just taking up too much space or whatever, but that's the general consensus. However, all the sales numbers reveal the exact opposite. Exactly. All the sales numbers reveal that the bigger the box is on the shelf, the more presence it's going to have, the more likely you are to pick it up and take it home. Um, and I think that it's very difficult to go. We were talking about this a little bit before you got here, Vicky. The, the idea that if I go onto a forum, if I go into EN World and I start asking everybody, hey, what kind of setting do you guys really want to see? Everybody's going to say robots. Everybody's going to say pirates. Everybody's going to say they want to see more monkeys or whatever they say. That's the stuff that they think that they want in the setting. But the sales numbers don't reflect what they're saying. The yeah, sales numbers reflect ref fantasy. What's that? They probably reflect fantasy. Right, right. The 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 numbers reflect some kind of fantasy and fantasy with over the top armor with big shoulder pads and all this other stuff. But if you go to a marketing guy like the Studio 2 guys or you go to an Ed Healy or you ask any of these people that specialize in marketing and industry um, as, as consultants, they're going to tell you, look, the industry really needs this thing because zombie games aren't selling as well as they were three years mm. ago. Right? Or whatever. They're going to have some piece of advice that uh, – that you're not hearing through the general pipeline. I remember somebody right. came back from Essen just two years ago saying that publishers wanted more games you could learn and play in 15 minutes. Not publishers, distributors wanted more games you could learn and play in 15 minutes. But I haven't seen any companies changing their design models to reflect that change in taste. No, but then you see that the companies that do, do very, very well indeed. You know, yeah. Love Letter has done absolutely amazingly well. Uh, Fiasco, right. as, a, as a role-playing game, does very well indeed, pretty much everywhere it goes. So it, 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 the, the, the market research pays off. You know, you just have to actually follow the market research. And to, to go back to the topic that we were discussing of, of the writing versus design, the market research as to whether people want to see and what differences people want to see in a system that somebody has written 
compared to put it in a game designed by somebody else, that doesn't happen anywhere near often enough. And we see an awful lot of these things failing because there isn't enough research. I mean, as you said earlier, Seven Seas, uh, what the heck, uh, Cthulhu D20. I mean, do, do, you, do you guys know anybody who likes Cthulhu D20? Uh, it was pretty cover. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, yeah. and, and, and you know, it was Monte Cook. It, it would be very well written, but it, it didn't work. There, there was not enough change to adapt to, to the mechanics and, and the mechanism. So how do you reach some sort of balance between getting good game writing, which is very important, but also good game design, which is also very important? Well, for me, I, I've decided to go the route of working with an existing system. It's like without Charm Productions, we went to Pinnacle Entertainment Group and asked them about licensing for Savage Worlds because it was gaining more and more people. It already had a good following, and then I just keep seeing more and more people say that they tried it, they liked it, they want more of it. Uh, so, you know, with us, we decided to go a route that allowed us to take advantage of a system that already existed and not recreate the wheel, but add appropriate mechanical details to our setting to go in line with the greater rule system because you know, we weren't creating our own rule system. On the other hand, we also decided to go systemless and create uh, basically a, a few conversion tables so people can say, okay, I, you know, I know how difficult uh, something is in you know whatever system they want to play. You know, so I'm looking at this table and it's telling me that okay, well, you know, if if they're saying that something's you know a, a difficulty of two, well, that's you know that relates to my system in this way because uh, it's on a scale. You know, so that's how we handled it, so that we weren't trying to have to deal with designing a system. Now that said, I have been toying with the idea of designing a system. <laughs> Which brings us back to where we started, uh, Paco, which mm -hmm. is this idea that are you really designing something fresh and new when you're designing a system, or are you just cannibalizing or scalping something you've seen before that you really like and saying, oh, I like this, but I don't like D10s, I want to do D6s. Um, and the question becomes is, are we just, as game writers or game designers, are we just giving people a derivative experience of something they've already been experiencing? What is what is the what is the experience that we're trying to sell? And that's the first question you need to ask yourself before you sit down and you write anything. And I think probably when you look at gaming, because there are so many systems out there, most new systems are likely to be derivative in some way if not completely, in part, of some other system. Hmm. You know, um, some of the things that I've been thinking about and asking myself exactly what you just said, you know, so what am I trying to give to people that's not already there? Or what am I trying to give to people that's different from what's there? Right. And the answer for me isn't that I'm trying to give them something that's wholly unique in all ways, because I don't think you can. So you use dice. All right, well, in some way, that's like D&D because, well, D&D uses dice. Okay, well, you use cards. Well, that's sort of like Savage Worlds because in some ways they use cards. So I don't think we're going to get anything that's completely unique that hasn't been done in some way or doesn't have some element out there that hasn't been used by another company, another individual <laughs> at some point. I, I think really if you're trying to design a system – 
you're trying to provide people something that provides an experience of your vision. And your vision, again, not likely to be wholly unique, but it might be a conglomeration of things that you feel work well in different systems. I, I love in Savage Worlds a couple of features. I love that I have bennies so that if something goes horribly awry, I have a chance to not have it go so horribly awry. You know, in GURPS, I like that you know I can have a, a character that uh, isn't exactly along an archetype, but has elements that are along an archetype uh, format. You know, so I think you pull out different things, and maybe not so consciously, you know, just kind of thinking, well, I remember playing a game where I liked this element. And I'm not saying that's how everybody designs, but I think that that is something that happens at least to some degree, whether we you know, mean it to or recognize it or not. And, and you know, I, I completely agree with you on that one. And I personally don't see any problem with that at all. Um, because I think people should concentrate also in what they want to do and they do well. And if people are good writers, but not very good designers, you know what? Get out there, get the design that you like and rip it apart and make it yours. And I see absolutely no issues whatsoever with that. I, I, think, that, I think that that's probably one of the more important ingredients, uh, Paco, is, is that whatever you're creating, make sure that it's thematic to the experience you're trying to generate. Yes. And we come back to the, the bigger picture, right? If we pull the, the microscope back far enough, we have to ask the question, which I asked earlier, which is, do you want a game that at the end of the day is just a die roll that the game master interprets for you? Or do you want a game where everybody has a voice in saying what happens at the table? Do you want a game where you don't, nobody knows what's going to happen next? Um, do you want a game that is inside a sandbox and doesn't run on rails, or do you always want a game that runs on rails and people are like Trail of Cthulhu following the bits of crumbs that lead to a bigger picture? Um, not that Trail of Cthulhu runs on rails, but that, but it, it does something in between those two things, right? Between a sandbox and a run on rails game. And so those are experiences you have to ask yourself when you're sitting down and designing, what is the experience you're trying to generate? I sat down for somebody's uh, Savage Worlds Deadlands Noir game at a convention recently, and he himself was a fantastic game master, and so he was able to respond to the decisions we made, and he changed the story to reflect the conclusions that we had drawn. But I don't think that that's necessarily the design goal of 99% of role-playing games for the GM to oh, just scrap everything you've written and go with what the player said. <laughs> True, but, but then that's Probably because it's a very difficult thing to get well, to do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's an art form. That's absolutely hmm. an art form. I'm not I'm not denigrating that at all. But I think role-playing games can do a better job of giving the tools to people to do that instead of giving them tools that they've already had for 30 years, which is the GM is the adversary and the players are trying to beat him. The players have that tool, right? They've got that down. They don't need another game that teaches them how to do that. That's a good point. Vicky, what do you think? Well, unfortunately, part of that uh, cut out for me, so I didn't hear all of Jim's answer. Oh, it was nonsense anyway, don't worry. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Raggedy Roo. I, I, I heard bits about tools, and I heard bits about uh, tools that we've had for 30 years, but I didn't quite hear everything. Sorry. That's, that's, that's fine. You missed nothing. Um, you can listen to the podcast. You can hear it in the podcast. <laughs> Uh, yes, yes, James, you can say it. I'm a jerk. No, that was fantastic. Now she has to listen. Now she she has to find out what she missed anyway. So now she's got to wait until this this thing's posted. True, true indeed. Right, so guys, to wrap it up because it's uh, ten past midnight where I leave, and um, my, my I'm, I'm turning into a pumpkin very slowly indeed. Um, <laughs> final thoughts. What is more important for you, the writing, or the writing of the design? I guess I'll go. Go for it. <laughs> um, something we didn't even touch on, and I'll, so I'll get this in my last words, is how well you write the rules to your design. I cannot tell you how many books I have just put down and that I've purchased and I've just put down and never finished reading because the, the rule writing is so bad. Um, I am a big fan of rules that emulate a different gaming experience because I don't want to play the same thing over and over again. And so I think that it's much more important than writing setting. Um, but just as equally important is probably as writing clear, concise rules. Okay. Vicky. Well, I wholeheartedly am appreciative of clear and concise rules. For me, the greater writing of the game itself is more important personally. Uh, and it's because the way IGM is such that really the system's sort of optional. You know, if it turns out that uh, something's not working for the group I'm playing with, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And the rules are not going to really dictate that because when I game, I'm in it for providing a fun, entertaining experience that people walk away saying, I want to do that again. And sometimes the rules do get in the way. So for me, as long as I make sure that, whatever I'm writing is interesting and has a lot of room for people to either take it exactly as it's directed or to augment it in whatever way is applicable for their table, I'm happy. And I'm going to go with you on that one because for me, rules are also not rules, they're just guidelines. I, I, I tend sure. to ignore them so, so often. But if I don't get a sense of the setting, if I don't get, if I don't gel with the setting itself, I cannot play a game regardless of how good the system is. So for me, setting, writing of the setting, definitely a lot more important than writing of the rules. So there you go. That's um, that's a topic <laughs> covered for today. I think we, we should we should wrap it up so I can go to Berlin's leap because I am <laughs> before you turn that book and the rest of the way. Yes. And uh, next time we'll discuss a different topic and we'll do it for probably a little bit longer and I will be more in touch and say hello and sooner. And Vicky will be on time. That, that's the goal. Of course, that was the goal tonight too. Yes. <laughs> I was pointing in my hand when I said that too. Listen, Nobody could see don't it. pick on Vicky. She's got a life. You <laughs> oh, don't. wow. Wow. That's hurtful. <laughs> If Jim doesn't pick on me, I'm going to think that he's decided I'm not worth talking to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She figured it out. She figured it out. Oh, I cannot it's argue with that. It's the litmus test. It's the litmus <laughs> test. I'm not, I, I can argue with that. But then that explains why Jim doesn't talk to me unless we're doing the podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm not hurt. Have you signed off yet, Paco? <laughs> I gotta go. 
Thank you for listening. Production for this podcast has been by Paco Garcia and the music's been composed by Kev Atzet. We would love to hear from you. Feedback and your questions are always welcome and you can email us at podcast.gmsmagazine.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at GMS Magazine. And we are also on Facebook and Google+. I'm very, very happy to talk to you. Remember to subscribe to the GMS Magazine podcast channels in iTunes and give us a review or two and a rating, please. And it's truly appreciated if you do. For more quality shows, remember to listen to other rooms like the RPG Room, the Interview Room and the Board Game Room and more rooms that might be coming very soon indeed. But, friends, until the next time, let the games continue.